I said, my mental health isn't well. I think I might have mental illness. And because there was an inexperienced psychologist or someone, she kind of just shoved me off and said, got a judge to sign off on me being institutionalized. So I woke up in handcuffs and I was taken five hours away from my home to a mental hospital. And that's where I received my diagnosis. So it's a really good time. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Priori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Danny Priori, and I'm joined by writer and mental health advocate, Hannah Bloom. Hannah, how are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. Absolutely. Hoop earrings going crazy. Love them. Oh, have to. Always, always. I debated it. What were you thinking before? I was thinking, do you go in with the gold earrings? Do you really go that far or do you keep it simple? And of course I went, go as far as you can. I think a lot of people can adopt that mentality because I think with what we kind of do, you got to go all the way. You have to. You got to go all the way. It's, it, it, you can't, you can't uh, half step in, in no. this uh, profession. You and I are in the bipolar family together. Whoop. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. We are both bipolar. You're bipolar too. I'm bipolar too as well. Twinning. Twinning it up. So first question was, one, how old are you when you got your diagnosis? Because I didn't get mine until I was in my late 20s. Yeah, I was 20. You know, what's interesting about that is that's what I hear with a lot of men specifically. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we were like, we don't go to the therapist. I grew up with like an Italian dad and Puerto Rican mom and like therapy wasn't really a thing. So I had a lot of stuff to unpack. And then we'll get into it because in my notes, I know you had a breakdown. I had a breakdown. Mm -hmm. I call them sticky sock vacations. (laughs) I love that. I know that feeling very well. So you were 20 when you got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. What kind of led up to that? Was it the breakdown or did the breakdown come after? No, the breakdown was the pregame. So the breakdown before the actual party started. And the thing is, is that what it's like, what led up to it was I've always felt a little different. You know, like my imagination, my mind has always been racing since I was a kid, very sensitive to a lot of different things, could be very emotional. But it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I noticed something was off. And like I was that chick in high school, I was up for prom queen. You know, I I looked completely like I was fine on the outside, but I didn't even make it to prom because that was my first breakdown was that night. So I never went. Yeah, I never went. And of course, I lied about it to people at school. But the thing is, is that's when I started thinking something might be up, but you ignore it. People kind of shove you off. We don't have the counseling in school that needs to be there. Went to college, started partying, ignoring all of my problems. And sophomore year of college, 
it got bad. Like honestly, and because I've been talking to my therapist about this recently, there are a lot of blank spaces. I call them black spaces where it's like I suppressed a lot of the memories of the breakdown, but I had a breakdown in college where I just was on the ground and my friends had to do something. So they basically called up my family. My family came and got me in Boston. I came home. I went to a doctor, like in a hospital that you would go to if you had the flu really bad. And I remember waiting there and, you know, they asked me a bunch of questions. I said, my mental health isn't well. I think I might have mental illness. And because there was an inexperienced psychologist or someone, she kind of just shoved me off and said, got a judge to sign off on me being institutionalized. So I woke up in handcuffs and I was taken five hours away from my home to a mental hospital. And that's where I received my diagnosis. So it's a really good time. All right. So I want to hold that right there for a second, because that's a good spot to come back to. So you mentioned growing up that, you know, when you were a kid, you were kind of all over the place. I was like that too. I was super sensitive. I was a fucking crybaby. I was all that stuff. Do you ever try to think back as far back as you can remember? I do that sometimes. And I, cause I kind of forgot a lot about my childhood too, which is kind of crazy. Like I have those black spots too. Yeah, I do. I do. I I think from childhood, it's hard to really piece a lot of things together. I've always loved art and writing, but for some reason I felt like that made me look weak. So I would like, I remember hiding in my closet and just writing and writing and writing just like notes and, and just these little times of isolation, but it's all broken up. And definitely that sophomore year, I can't put things together. So that's when I was about 19. That year, I literally, I never thought the mind was powerful enough to do that, but now I learned it is, which is scary, kind of. Well, yeah. And the other thing, too, is, is you know, like you said, uh, you were, you know, going to be prom queen. Like, it, yeah. sounds, it, it, it sounds like, like, on the outside, life was pretty good. 100%. Where are you from? I'm originally, I was born in Boston, but I grew up in North Carolina, the South. Grew up in North Carolina. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, was your school, like, did your parents do well? Like, where oh, were you yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting because I hear a lot of this conversation around you had, like, maybe you had a bad childhood, Hannah, and you were traumatized. And it's like, honestly, I mean, everybody has their things they go through, but I grew up, I, I had a middle-class family. I lived in a safe area. I went to all of the best schools. You couldn't do more. You know, you couldn't do more. Of course, I think it was emotions were kind of frowned on, but nothing that would lead to that. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up where everything on the outside was picture perfect. Right. And then that, well, the tough thing with that too is is it's kind of one of those things where it's like you have all the things going for you. I grew up privileged as well. You know, I had two parent household. My parents did the best they could to send me to a really good school. And it's like, you know, sometimes just the the chemistry is off in your brain. It's like, I know people really think like, you know, there is kind of a stigma with that too, like privileged people. And it sounds like so first world props, 
privileged people can have mental illness too. Like a lot of people, I don't think really think about that. Oh, 100%. Doesn't matter. There's no face. There's no salary. There's no class. There's no race, nothing. Anybody at any time, you know, bipolar disorder, isn't that true? It doesn't have like a specific person it goes after. So it pretty much takes anyone. I think the hard thing for me too, and I want to see how you felt about this was a part of you too, after, you know, you get a diagnosis, it's kind of like a small death a little bit because of the person that you were. And it's like, you're kind of fighting to get back to being that person that you were, but it's also like, you're never going to be that person again. You know what I mean? And it's not a bad thing. It's just that that version of yourself really doesn't exist anymore. Right. Geez, I've never heard it put like that. That's pretty, that's like really profound because the thing is, is it is like grieving a part of yourself, but that can work in both ways. Right. I think that, yeah, like relating to what you said, I think for me, the part of me that the death that occurred or the version of me was the version that was in hiding and that was pretending. And I was really pretending I was doing sports, even though I didn't really want to towards the end. So for me, the grieving was more of, it wasn't really grieving. It was kind of just stepping in and being like, here's all my stuff. Here's oh, yeah. what I'm going through. And now it's time for me to be me. So yeah, but that can work in both ways. For sure. And it was like, you know, like they say, like, there's like stages of like mourning a little bit. Right. So right. it's like, you know, I finally got to that set, like that mindset of acceptance. But the thing was, especially being a man, it was hard to really just admit that I had some stuff going on before my diagnosis. Like, you know, I couldn't really handle my emotions. I was a goddamn mess. Because it's always very curious with men, especially, is how did you come? Because the key word you used was like acceptance. And that's what I find is a big problem for a lot of men. How did you come to that? Like what happened or shifted? So for me, the biggest part was when I was going through what I was, my breakdown was, I was experiencing panic attacks and anxiety that I've never experienced before. And the anxiety that I deal with is health anxiety. So if I get a heart palpitation, I think I'm going to die. Yeah. So if my stomach hurts immediately, like I have an ulcer, I have cancer. You know, I was going to the emergency room every night. I racked up close to $100,000 in medical bills because I didn't have insurance. So at that point that it was getting so bad that I said, I can't live another day like this. I was having suicidal thoughts. I, I was planning to kill myself. I couldn't do it anymore. And the last thing I said was, you know what I haven't tried is just going to a doctor, going to an emergency room and saying, I need help. Nothing's working. I need the help. So I did that. I went inpatient. I got my work done, blood work, all that stuff. You know what I mean? They took my shoelaces, everything. They got real I'm like, can't you leave my shoelaces on? It's so awful. I was like, I was going to jump. I was like, I could still yeah. keep my shoelaces. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That's what I said. I was like, oh. You still have feet. Yeah, I still have feet. And then the worst thing about it, too, was the shorts that I was wearing. I don't think I've ever told this, the shorts that I was wearing, they took the drawstring out. Yes, yes. But my shorts were so big at the time that, you know, when I was going to the doctor, I just threw any shorts on. And these were the one pair of shorts that were given to me from a friend that was much bigger than me. 
and they did not fit. So when they took the drawstring out, my pants fell down. Like literally right there during my intake, my pants fell down. And I was like, oh, like, so it was kind of like a comedic moment. you needed at the time. Yeah, it was very metaphorical of like where like my mental health was at that point. Yeah, But, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever told that story. So when I got out of there, I was afraid because they were like, oh, yeah, like, all right, well, Bye. we see that you're, yeah, yeah, you, we deemed you fit enough to go home. So I was like, damn, dude, I love it in here, though. Like, there's group and like, there's Connect Four and shit. Like, I have friends now. You know, I'm calling people on the phone, just being like, hey, like, uh, did the Knicks win? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. I was finally safe. I was finally safe. Mm. And the thing was, after that, that's when I got started getting afraid again a lot because I said, oh. I can't do this by myself. I need my friends. I need my friends and my, my family, people, just, right? My peers. Yeah, my peers. And then I had to wait two weeks to go see the, the therapist. Once I got in therapy, they came in, did an initial eval. They said uh, I had dysthymia, which is like manic depression diagnosis. You know, that was the initial one. So, you know, that you know, it is you try Zoloft, you try that, you know, they had me trying a whole bunch of shit. So I was all, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I had the moment in therapy around my third or fourth session is because what I do, I'm a comedian. That's my main gig. So it's like, I kind of just had a moment in there where I'm like, I don't think anyone's gonna, I'm not gonna be able to perform. I'm not, no one's gonna see me anymore. Like no one's gonna mm-hmm. love me anymore. I'm not gonna be able to be the same Danny that they love. And my therapist looked me in the face and was like, listen, like that person's gone, bro. Yeah. Like that person's gone. And when he said that to me, it was like, he punched me in the chest because I knew what he was saying was harsh, but true. Mm-hmm. That I was not going to go back to that person that drank 18 beers a day was doing cocaine every night, partying. He's like, dude, that person's dead, man. Like, you can't do that anymore. It's over. You're you're gonna die if you keep doing that. During that entire thing, I found out I was type two diabetic. So I was taking all the type twos. Number two is your lucky number. Number two everywhere. So you know, and then for me, I was like, man, like that's really hard to do. And I had a moment where I, I was grieving. And to get to to answer your question, to get to that acceptance. I had to learn the science of why my brain was acting the way that it was acting. So I had to learn. I studied fight or flight for about three months. I studied the human heart for like two months. I studied the endocrine system. I studied all this stuff to realize what's happening is an actual physiological response right. to what was going on. And then once I was able to accept that, listen, you have a little overactive fight or flight system and you suffer from manic depression. Like these are things. And then once I was talking to a couple of my friends and as I kind of like came out, like, I don't know a better way to say it, but like came out as, as it is, it is. I got diagnosed with bipolar three months into therapy because the initial eval, there was still stuff going on with me where I was manic. Like I would have these moments that were just so, so down, down, down that were like terrible, not eating, couldn't go to the bathroom, couldn't shower, couldn't eat. It was horrible. But the moment that I felt that I had acceptance is when I had the courage to tell people, this is what's going on with me. And I wasn't afraid to say it. And I wore it as not who my identity is, but I held it as something as this is part of my life. And if you can't accept it, that's perfectly fine. I've accepted it. And now what work do we have to do? 
where do we go from here? So I kind of lost, got lost in the work that led to me having acceptance. So I, the work process of learning about the disorder, that's the thing that helped me the most. That's incredible. And I think that's like really important because I think for a lot of people having and educating themselves about it, instead of having other people tell you about it is empowering. And so empowerment leads to acceptance. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm sure this happened with you when you got told about your diagnosis, it's up and down. Like I was super sad. I said, Oh man, like people are going to think I'm fucking crazy now. This is what I, I got to go home and tell my fucking family this. But a part of me was relieved because I'm like, all right, now we can build a plan. Like now we can build that. We can start building a fortress and cool. We can decorate this place. You know what I mean? I was like, let's figure it out. Let's exactly. Exactly. That's right. What was it like for you? Okay. So acceptance, I mean, there's a a lot of the acceptance. It relates a lot to what you're saying in the far, in the idea of like education. But one of the big things that led to obviously advocacy. So when I got involved in the community, what ended up happening is like, I'm with other people with bipolar disorder. In rural America, some of the poorest people I've ever met, and they're out there with their pamphlets doing advocacy, and they have mental illness. And I started saying to myself, these people are amazing. They're kind, they're empathetic, they're supportive, they're cool. Why am I believing that this makes me a monster? And that was like kind of a question that was really riding in my head of, wait, am I supposed to be like an asshole? Am I supposed to be a bad partner? Am I supposed to be like this? Because majority, overwhelming of majority people I live with that live with mental illness are incredible. And some of the most beautiful people, artists, just humans that I know, that question kind of rolled out. And then Mm. using my art and my writing just really started to empower me and the advocacy and also learning about people who lived with bipolar mental illness, Van Gogh, Marilyn Monroe. I did a huge article about Marilyn Monroe. It's like one, I'm not tooting my own horn, but the thing is it was well-researched. And she, her mother had schizophrenia. And so people, the article blew up because it was like, wait a minute. I'm thinking to myself, here is this idol that we worship, right? Put tattoos of, she's this huge, she had mental Americana. Right. She had mental illness and we ignore it in society. That doesn't make sense to me. How is it starry night? is was uh inspired from the you know it's painted from the van gogh's cell i mean not cell but room at a at a psychiatric facility and i began to feel empowered and i also said to myself hold up this is bullshit this is bullshit what i've been told and when i said that that was it and i became very bold and now the way in which society defines bipolar or anybody else that has it is not the way I define it. And so really kind of taking that stance, I accepted it and felt empowered by it. Oh, I, yeah. You no, know, like what else are you going to do? It's a thing. It's, I was already depressed when I came in here. 
like, I don't know if I'm going to get more depressed when I leave. To be let's, honest with you. Right. Like, let's figure <laughs> you know this I mean? out. Let's figure this out. Right. Like, let's, let's figure, figure out. this out. And let's find a way to empower ourselves. That's why, like, what you're doing, even what I'm doing is, like, really big. Because I think it's empowering. And we've never had that in society. No. And I always make this joke. It was like, you know, like, uh, I was depressed before it was cool. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I have retro depression. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I have throwback depression. You know what I'm saying? Because all through high school, I was, I was depressed as fuck. But I just acted like I was cool. 100%. And you know what the thing is, is that when you said comedian, it's, it's no, like, because of course, the, it's the, the not it's joke, the but like, right. Like, oh, we're, we're all, yeah. we're all depressed. We're all depressed. We're all depressed at some point. The ones that aren't, I'm super jealous of because you want to know, we grow up as such observationalists that we see, we see the amazing and we see the worst. And our way of coping is, we got to find some way to make that funny because I, I can't cope because you want to know what it is mental health is so dark and so like gloom. I'm talking about like, you have to find levity in all these situations. I tell people all the time. I tell people all the time on this show because it's so like, I don't consider myself like an existentialist, but it's like, dude, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be so at it here one day that it's like, I can't live this lifestyle where, I'm just telling myself every day that my life fucking sucks. Where are we going to go from here? And, and, and the biggest thing for me, and I, I want to see from a female perspective was, you know, what goes to your head kind of too, when you get a diagnosis like that, it's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to like talk to people. Like who's going to want to have sex with me? Right. Who's going to want to just like, I'm talking about like, just on the surface level, yeah. like I have this, I feel ugly. No one's going to be attracted to me. No one's going to want to have sex with me. And even if they do, they're not going to want to call me back or they're not going to want to be in a long relationship with me. So it's just this snowball of like telling myself how much I suck all the time. And from a female perspective, though, did you go through that as well? Because men were so fucking ego driven that it's like, I was like, these guys have something over me because like their brain isn't as like weird as mine. You know, like I would... Because we're constantly comparing ourselves and like posturing up to other dudes oh, and shit. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's tough. Yeah, you guys have a lot going on. It's just too much. And then it's just like, you start thinking of everything like, oh, like when I got diagnosed, it's like, oh, I'm a little overweight. I'm only 5'9". Like this is what I'm on. And that was, that was my thought process for a long time. Like I'm going to die alone because of this shit. Right, right. And that's like, that's when acceptance and empowerment comes in to answer your question. Hell yeah. I think of course we experience in different ways, but when it comes to, so there's a couple of things that play into here, right? I think a lot of men are curious about women with bipolar and this whole madness idea, like this whole crazy, beautiful, right? So there's that side of it. Actually, this is not a joke. There's a fetish for women with mental illness. No fucking way. Yeah, there is. There is. There is a fetish. I've been reached out to about it. And like, honestly, I could use the money. But like, the thing is, (laughs) it's like, I'm like, okay, Hannah. Yeah, get your bag. Wait, are you looking it up? Yeah, yeah. You want to know what it is? What? It's called psycho bitch. That's a kink. That's right. Psycho bitch. That's right. And then psycho bitch femdom. 
And now I have to delete my search history. <laughs> I know. I know. Don't let anybody yeah. see my, that. Yeah, my fiance is going to love that. She'll oh, like, she'll love it. Yeah, she'll, she'll be like, it. now I know what you're doing in there. But now that I think about it, though, that's what they would call it. Like, girls, like, oh, psycho. Can bitch. you believe like, that's that? That's what it is. How terrible is that? So the thing is, for me, as dudes like, are so women, weird. Yo, we're, we're you're so, so weird. weird dude. You're so weird. You guys don't know what you want. It's like you would like guys want, you know, the emotional, the whole like madness. Oh, I'm writing. They're like, write me a poem, Hannah. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, you got emotions. He ha whoo. Like, let me get the fuck out of here. I'm like, uh, okay. Not that that has always happened. I mean, it's like really pivotal now. You have to accept. And like, the thing is, it's a part of me. But as far as like dating, oh, I've had guys, if they ever get rejected, if I'm like, you know what? I'm not feeling it. Boom. The ego jumps and they go, well, to be honest with you, I didn't think it would work out because of the bipolar. I'm like, okay, buddy. Sure. Yeah. You did. Sure. That's how it is. Yeah. And I That's think people are curious. I think it's important to be curious in a way, but like, you know, with the internet, internet has made dating like super transparent. Like you could literally go on someone's Instagram and be like, oh, like this person has this. Like, you know more about a person on a first date than any other era of all time. I know the exes, your grandmother, your sister, you know, like I know them all. And then when you say to me, I'm like, oh, really? Like, oh, I didn't know you. Oh, were yeah. There. I know where your address was. OK. Yeah. Like I, I, I knew it was like your nephew's birthday. I got him a gift. But the thing is, is like women with bipolar, they get ripped. They get ripped like the on the articles I have. The biggest people that go after me are men who dated women with bipolar rip on them. Don't date them. They do that. Now, I oh, get yeah. a question. Who the hell does that? Like, I'm sorry, insanity. I would never go searching out something and comment like that. So it's a very confusing thing for people with bipolar and it can be used against you in relationships. I was gaslit and it almost killed me. I mean, the guy was insane, you know, questioning your sanity, being blamed all the time. That too, when it comes to relationships and dating. The hardest part, too, is, you know, I'm engaged. I'm getting married in 2023. The best thing about it was, like, I was able to go into that relationship and just be fully transparent about all of that stuff. So, so that was, like, the biggest. I guess it went good, but. Yeah. No, you want to know what it was? Is I was, in the beginning, obviously, because she loves me and she loved me then. So it's, like, she was, like, all right, like, we'll get through it. But, like, there's been some tough times. Like, she's seen me at the lowest of my lows and she, and and it's been challenging for her like I'm not an easy person to date like I'm all over the place I'm super scatterbrained I have a very short attention span if I'm in a sense of mania and I'm down like there's going to really be no breaking of through course. to me and you know that's a lot to ask of a person that doesn't have you know in my mind I said you know I'm asking this person of so much to be like which Danny yeah. am I going to get today is he is he in a good mood and, the sh- and you know how it is. The shit can switch like that. I don't even right, feel right. Like, there's no like superhero. This is what people have to understand. Like there is like manic, like mania, like rev ups and like rev downs. Yeah. But it's not like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moment where you're like, oh, get away from me. No, you know? not, not at all. So it's just I'm like either it in my own world or asleep. 100%. Right. And, you know, 
that's been tough on her. And from how we used to handle it to how we handle it now is like night and day. So, you know, she, she understands what I go through. And the thing that I struggle with too, is the hard part is about getting married is, you know, you start thinking of like genetics and, you know, is this going to be a thing that for my children, like, do I want to do this to her? Do I want to do this to her family, to my family? Like, you know, and then a part of it is like, if I'm transparent with you and I tell you what I deal with and I'm doing the best that I can to get better in all facets and assets, uh, all, you know, walks of life, you know, kind of know what you signed up for. You know what right. I mean? So it's, there has to be responsibility on both sides 100%. to understand. And that's where the communication comes in. Now, if I'm feeling manic, I have to let her know that I'm feeling that because right. if I'm not, I'm lying to her and I'm also doing her a disservice and I'm going to make her life more difficult. So the communication has been the best and the worst part because when we're not communicating well and I'm having something going on, it's not great because I'm horrible to be around. It's just, I'm horrible to be around. I know I don't even want to be around myself. Yeah. It's hard to explain when, you know, you can have moments where you really don't know what's going on. And then you start questioning everything you've done up to that point. But me just being able to be more transparent with her and let my ego down and tell her right. this is what's going on. She's a rock for me. So she, she holds me down. Yeah, the, yeah I respect tough. her. I don't know her, but I, I respect her. And, and I think the thing is, we beat ourselves down. We feel like all the time, oh, like this person, thank God, because they love me. And I think a lot of the, the reason is because it's not accepted in society. So like always I say to myself at the end of the day, am I a good person? Am I kind? Am I acting? And the thing is, is that the answer usually, but I would say most is yes. I'm doing my best, giving myself. And the thing is, there is a lot of people without mental illness that do really shitty things and make really difficult in relationships. And it's like my partner that had gaslit me he didn't have mental illness. And so the thing is, is that I think that it's right. Like it's about communication. I think it's about stigma and educate. I think one day if we get to a point where society understands more, we won't feel the need to do it in relationships because we're kind of going in teaching. We have to teach the person, this is what I am. So it's like, we can't help that. We can't help that. And, but we can't feel like shit. Yeah. And also it's like, my problem was, was when I was going through something, I would get mad at her, right. I would get upset with her. But then I have to take moments. I'm like, this girl didn't go to school for 12 years. And like, she's not a psychiatrist. Like she's only doing the best that she can. And that's where the communication can get choppy. Mm-hmm. If you're not listening to why they don't understand what's going on with you. Right. Right. You know, exactly. I would get mad. I'm like, well, you don't fucking. And now I'm upset. And then like, <laughs> And then like an hour later, I'm just like, dude, like that was wild. Like you need to go apologize to her right now. Right. Because she doesn't need to put up with that shit. That, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's a tennis match every day against yourself. Like, like I tell people all the time. And the one thing that I love about her the most is that she calls me on my bullshit. I love that. That's the biggest thing because she was like, listen, you can't go through life with this woe is me attitude all the time about Whoa. like, like what, what you're going through. And I was like, you know, because when she said that to me, she was like, when was the last time you went to therapy? 
And I was like, uh, it's been a while. So she's like, all right, so you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing to get better, right? And I need that. I need that kick in the ass to be like, listen, yeah. like, hey, you want to talk about like you having like bipolar and stuff and you're going to be doing advocacy. It's like, you need to go back to therapy like right now and stay in there and, and figure that out. Not for me. Anything she ever asks is not for her. It's for me. She loves you. Whoa. Yeah. So she's like, listen, if you're going to like sit around and fucking feel sorry for yourself, knowing that you have the tools to fix this thing and you did all this work already, you're not putting yourself in a position to win. She wants to see me win. That's a beautiful thing. I think it's too. Yeah, exactly. You do. And like, I think sometimes for me, you know, dating and stuff like that, I've learned to rely so much on myself that, you know, it's kind of difficult to let a person in, especially like after going through a lot of shit with it. But going back to what you were saying is that one thing I think that does happen that I recently learned because I went to a 12 week treatment program. I wasn't doing well. This was in April, just another day, you know, whatever. I hear you. Right. I learned that I was clinging to an identity of being messed up. So like, that that's no, it's like, I'm gotten too comfortable with being a mess and I didn't want to get help because I'm like, Yeah. Right. And I even told like a friend of mine recently, I'm like, you're clinging to an identity when it comes to like drugs. I used to have a problem, but it's like, no, I can't get better. It's like, but you can, I mean, you you know, like there, there is something. So I think it's too, we have to catch ourselves when we're clinging to an identity of being ill and being unwell. And and yeah. with mental health advocacy and trying to break stigmas and stuff, we've done a lot of positive, right? There's been a lot of positive, but there are situations in anything that becomes more popular. You're going to see people clinging to ideas of almost like mental illness is sexy. Right. You know, like I'm a fetish. Oh, that's what I'm saying is like, it becomes something that's fetishized now. Right. And so like, the thing is, is that, it's almost we're spoken of as as objects. I mean, I've been writing about this like creatures and that's been historical. I mean, back in the day, I don't mean to take it back to the Gutenberg press, but in the 1800s. And this is part of where the education and acceptance comes from, because I see the structure of stigma with one of the first it's called Bedlam Hospital in England to fund the hospital. People that were mentally had mental illness, they were locked up in cells and the townspeople would come and pay a fee to look at them as an attraction. And you think we're insane. And like that was the 1800s. To be honest with you, it definitely hasn't changed as much as a lot of things have. And that's that's not cool. You know, that's not cool. It's not cool. And it's like, you almost get away with like being an asshole. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, Danny, Danny has bipolar. So like, we're going to be like that. It's like, no, like I can still be a fucking dick. You know what I mean? Like regardless of whatever it is, like I can't just go around and, and treat people like shit and just be like, yo, sorry, man. Like, you know, my deal. 
It's like, yeah, oh, some dude, people are just like that, right? They've got these character things and it's not always related to bipolar or like, you know, it's no. Like, no. And so, yeah. Right. It's a lot to break through. It's a lot. We've got a lot of work. I know. And it's like, it's something that it's so weird, but I'm just so ready to like embrace it. You know, like just still every day. It's, I don't really have another choice. I do, but it's the wrong choice. And that would just be to just fold it into myself and eat myself to death and die at 50. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. No, you want to embrace it. Like even so I get my, like, so I'm right. I write poetry and stuff. And in my second book that I'm coming out with, I'm writing poetry and using the words in it of bipolar, of depression. And that is something that's not really done and hasn't been done. And the reason I want to do that is because why are we staying away from you, like using these emotions that are so essential to art, but they've been words that don't use. And it's like, yeah, but I'm going to use them because I want people to be artistically empowered and to see the word, you know, to see it, to see it. I think that's a beautiful thing though, too, is because a lot of people that suffer with mental illness, just that I've been in contact with whether they were in the hospital with me or group sessions with me. It's, we talk a certain way. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. We walk a certain way. We live a certain type of way. Everyone's experience is different, but it's like, bro, like I've been through so much. The last thing I really want to talk about is how like to pronounce a word or like how to like do this or I curse too much or whatever. It's like, listen, if there's no kid in the room, I'm going to curse. That's just who I am. That's just what I deal with. I'm not going to change that about me. We struggle so much for our own identity. It's like, there's times where, like you said, we're trying to like be a different person because we want this society to like give us a break. It's like, who do you want us to be? You want me to be a shooter? You want me to be deranged? You want me to be this? And it's like, at one point you have to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, man. I'm making my identity because it's really... It's bogus. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. it, it's almost foolish. Like I look at people when they say some shit to me, I don't, I'm not like I'm offended. I'm like, you look real stupid right now asking me that. And so it's kind of like that. I think we have to be more bold with it. Yeah, for sure. And it's also like, too, it's like, I always say this, like I'm a big fan of Kanye West, like music and, Love and, it. and you know, Love him. And it's just like, you know, like they're like, oh, like he's bipolar or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but he's not like the poster person for bipolar and shit. You guys know that, right? It's no, like, he's not. You know, but he's an amazingly flawed genius. 100%. Okay. So, like, people rip on, like, sometimes people, okay, I like, I don't know, but like on Instagram, they'll be like, we saw you like Kanye West post. How could you? Well, first Every of day. all, all the time. And it's like, I love Kanye West. He named an album after bipolar. And in the community, especially in the black and brown community, when I would go to community with kids or with uh, mental illness, I remember when he released that CD, they felt so empowered because it's like, yeah. And the thing that all the shit that goes on with him, 
My problem with it is we act like and have these spread mental health awareness, have compassion, have this, but he is villainized. He's villainized. This is a person that was traumatized South Side Chicago. Nobody gives him any leeway. We don't know what's going on. And I have always clung to a lot of people with mental illness. And it's like, whoa, where's the compassion now? I mean, no offense. I know it's not the same with Britney Spears. We started a movement. Yeah, a I know. Movement. To, to save her. To save her. Yeah. She needs help. Look at her. Be compassionate. I think a lot of us can agree. And I know people would probably hate me saying this. What was happening to not her me. was awful. Right? Mo- yeah. Right. What was happening to her was awful. But I think we can all say that the poor woman was in a mental state that wasn't well. No, she was fucked up, for lack of a better word, for a little bit. But a movement, a movement got started. And she was acting out, a movement. They moved mountains for her. But, like, I was watching her social media, and I was like, yeah, like, there's some weird shit going on here. Like, I'm all cool with, like, freeing Britney Spears and all that. But I was like, these dancing videos are a little strange. like. And people okay. doing like deep dives right. into them. And it, the internet loves this shit. They live off of it. It's all self-gratification. They can't pick. And you know, like I hear all these people, oh, I'm an ally. I'm an ally. But when it comes to Kanye West, when it comes to being compassionate to him and his trauma goes out the window. And that's what I don't like about it. Britney Spears, of course, like I'm just using what happened to her is disgusting. She deserved megastars. Yeah. I had the shirt, but we also better take that respect into it. And when people rip him apart, and you know what I love? He uses it. He goes, oh. he uses it and he does it pretty well. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, you see all this shit? Like, I'm a billionaire. I'm a billionaire. And you can't say, like, my thing is, I take things. If you look at this guy's accomplishments as an artist, just as an artist, he's a legend forever. Just as an artist and producer. But he's like, no, I'm going to go into these white run fashion world and I'm going to make waves. I'm going to make the most popular sandals, sneakers, sweatshirts. I'm going to do all of that as a black man in America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Like, give him some credit. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to. Yeah. And you know, it's, I always say, I don't agree with everything Kanye West does. Oh, no, no, me neither. But I tell people all the time, you got some big old balls on him, though. I'll tell you that because he does. He was like, I'm going to marry a girl in the most like scrutinized family in the world. You know how many dudes wouldn't marry a girl if they had a sex tape with their ex partner? Oh, is that true? A lot of guys wouldn't. I didn't know if it's a turn on or not. 100%. If a girl you had a wouldn't? sex tape, no, 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 no. No. Okay. Guys wouldn't because that's when the slut shaming starts. All and right. then one of my, fr- what, one of my friends going to think about it. It's like, they could Google my girlfriend's name and she's like having sex with some yeah. other dude. He was like, yeah, like fuck all that. Like, yeah, like, and he was a guy on the breakfast club and it's like, yeah, like, you know, this person is the next Marilyn Monroe. And he was like, Kim Kardashian is Marilyn Monroe. She's this era's Marilyn Monroe. So, like, he's going off on these tangents. And he even said, he's like, interviews I did 10 years ago, people said I was crazy and judged me, all that shit. Now, now they watch it 10 years ago, they say I'm a genius. 
Exactly. It's not fair. He's been dealing with that shit his whole life. I've never, I don't know if you watch his Netflix documentary. Oh, called genius. It's amazing. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I I like, I I don't know why I haven't. I want to, because I love Kanye West. And the thing is, I also see a like the thing is, yeah, of course, I don't agree with a lot of the things he does and nobody should. But, you know, the whole fame thing and all of that, I think there's a little bit going on. But I also hope of smoke and mirrors. There's smoke and mirrors that goes on. there. But the thing is, with Kanye West is like, that's why I get pissed off with society and the way in which they talk about bipolar. One day he's a genius. The next day, you know, people are tweeting about and this is what bipolar people do. But the thing about it is, is like, I've seen some of the shit. Yeah, he does. And I'm like, this is heartbreaking because he really is, isn't well right there. Yeah. When you have ever suffered mania, you know what that is. If someone posts five Instagram posts in a row and they have some mental stuff, that's mania. Like if you're uploading a whole bunch of shit and that's what it is. That's what it is. And I highly doubt Kim Kardashian, if she was so thrown off about mental illness and it ruined her, would date Pete Davidson because he has borderline personality disorder. And open about how severe it is. But these oh. are great conversations to have. Like, I love that you're talking about this because usually the guideline of conversations is like, all right, like, so how do you cope with bipolar? Da, da, da. And although that's great, it's like having these conversations about Kanye, but like people with bipolar and talking about the other shit and having this and like, that's what people want to hear with mental illness. Yeah. Like people are going to, with mental illness are going to be listening to this and be like, oh my God, thank God. You know, like, yeah. So I love that. It literally takes one sentence to be like, oh damn. All right. All right, cool. You know, like somebody exactly. can hear like, yeah, I just, I, it's like, yeah, I just have days where I'm just like, yo, fuck everybody up. And they're just like, yo, me too. And now it's starts too. a conversation. Like, right. right. Yeah. Because people are afraid to start the conversation historically. So now that people are starting more conversations, now people are going to start having more in-depth conversations. Did you feel that like 100% of your your institution time, you know what I mean? Like the time that you were there, what percentage would you say was positive and like what percentage would you say was negative? Because like sometimes I talk about my experience too. Like some of it wasn't great. Like I had a lot of fun there. Like, you know what I mean? But there were nights where I'm just like, yo, I'm never going to get out of here. Oh, so the mental hospital was positive in the sense of my peers. I do think I needed it. Oh, yeah. That's the best part. Right. Like I knew I needed to be somewhere, I guess, you know, so like even though I was drug, like I could it could they could have gone about it. They didn't have to rob me of my rights. However, I can't even put a percentage. This is what I will say. I was like out in middle, like rural America here. A lot of poor kids, a lot of people that didn't have much. Oh, and they lump you in with everybody, too. Right. Exactly. Oh, we're all friends. Right. And so the thing is, everybody's experience is different. But I did recognize the abuses that were happening. And that continues today. It's part of like, of course, I could go. That's like a totally different subject. But the thing is, is that right now, a lot of my activism is that I'm recognizing that because of what I saw. There's kids getting abused in hospitals. And so I saw it was a jail. 
It was a jail and none of us committed a crime. And when I don't have the right to like, there were times where I would want to call my parents because a girl told me that one of the guards sexually assaulted her and that happened. Nobody did anything. I said, Jesus, like if I had a rotten apple at a grocery store, I would get the manager. I want to see someone. They sedated me. And this is being sedated through the night in the dark. And there's kids in there. And so the mental hospital in that system absolutely needs to change. I saw many injustices and it was not, there was light, but there was a lot of darkness that I saw. For sure. And it's like, yeah. you know, humans are only capable of so much compassion. 100% we all kind of live this life where we want to be compassionate all the time. We want to be good to our fellow people, but sometimes people just get pushed to their, everybody has a breaking point. Everybody has a breaking point, whether it be good for goodness or for bad. And you know, it's tough. And you know, when you see people that are vulnerable, people are in these hospitals because they're not well. And then you have to worry about being sexually abused right. while you're trying to get better. You already right. have trauma and now you're getting put in situations where, you know, this is the state, this is the government that's supposed to help you. Right. And I mean, you know? by guards, I mean, by yeah. guards. this is a common thing. They went to school. Staff. They went to school to do this. Yes. And staff. And it's like, what happens to those kids? Because when they come out and, and like, This is a whole nother thing. So I won't even get too far into it. But when they come out and they say a guard assaulted me, what do you think people say? You're a liar. Yeah, because you're crazy because you're nuts. Yeah. And this happens in hospitals. And I can't wait to put that shit on blast because it's bad. And so, like, I think the thing that positive that came out of the hospital, too, was that it motivated me. And they told me, don't look back. Don't look back in it. And now I see why they didn't want me to look back. You know, they said, these people, you won't see them. They don't have hope. You do. And I thought, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, come on. Yeah, so yeah. To make yeah, change. No, uh, no I see, that's the thing, though, too. It's when we talk about advocacy, right? Everyone's experience is different. It's a lot tougher to get your message across when I believe when people think you're fucking crazy. Exactly. You know, and it's like, no one's going to listen. No one's going to listen to me. And it's like, as much as I get people to listen to me, either it's through shows or they come and see me uh, perform or I do this thing. It's like, you know, there's people out there when I do shows, people come up to me and they talk about this show. They're like, yo, bro, like you're really? funny. I love that. Yeah. Be like, yo, you're funny. But like, I really respect what you're doing. Because I struggle with this. I do with this. I'm like, yeah, like we're helping people get over the hump here. And, you know, I think about all this stuff of people have to do the work on their own. A lot of it's homework really is. But to have outreaches and programs where you could feel safe as a dude, I felt safe in there because I'm like, I could defend myself if I have to. Right. You never really think about you have these young women that go into these places yeah, with 20, 30, 40, 50 year old men. And they're supposed to get them from point A to point B. 
you can't see everything that's going on in there. You got these people could say, and then nine, nine times out of 10, they're not going to believe the girl anyway. Like you said. Yeah. Society has to wake up and we matter and our voice matters and we're not these people. And it's like, I am tired of being kicked out of every conversation when it comes to justice, when it comes, not me personally, I'm lucky. That's why I'm saying it, but yeah. yeah, that's why I'm saying it because It's just so important. We need our peers. You know, everybody relies too much. on. I love psychologists. I love all of them on social media, like da, 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 da. But the thing is, is like people with mental illness are going to be the ones that make the biggest change in mental health that has ever occurred. And I truly believe that we're the key to unlocking it all, because if you can accept a person with bipolar Depression is a breeze from there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not demeaning those are saying there's no measure. But I mean, bipolar, schizophrenia, these are the most stigmatized conditions in the world. Right. Sure. And and the thing is, too, like you said, they piggyback off those things. My bipolar is what makes me an anxious fuck. Exactly. You know, so it's it all falls under this bipolar umbrella, I call it. I love my people, you know, and I think that people at some point, the conversation is going to grow stronger, but it's even like when I see just to go back to Kanye West for a second, even when I see like him being manic, I'm like, I almost forgot to take my medicine. Like I'll take my medicine. Right. right. You know, like, like, you know, like even little stuff like that. I'm like, just like, oh yeah, I should take my meds. I forgot. I was like, it's I'm a reminder. Go yeah. I'm like, it's know, a reminder. It's the Kanye alarm. Whenever I see a little like the Instagram story rolling, I'm so excited. I'm like, he's here. I know. I know. Uh, Yeah. I don't believe he should be villainized. So. And the other thing too, is like, people think that we go into an institution and we come out, like we're going to be at this like level of consciousness, like open up your third eye and shit. It's like, yo dude, like I'm just trying to get through the fucking day. Uh, Yeah. I overdosed after I left on accident. On what? Well, I, I want to say like, I didn't do it for suicidal, but I was so messed up when I didn't know what the hell to do that. I actually three days later started doing a shit ton of drugs, went out and I almost had to be hospitalized, like an actual hospital. And it was like, so people thinking you come out and I'm like, Whoa, bro. Like I'm really like I'm core and centered right now. Oh, come on now. Like, no, this conversation could end and I can just start having a badass day out of nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. I tell people all the time. It's like, even as advocates, people come to us to be like, you know, sometimes like the pillars of hope. I'm like, yo, like this pillar can fall down every once in a while. (laughs) I'm just like 100%. Yeah. That's like a big part of my thing. And my message is I don't all like, In a lot of the writings I have, it's I, because I don't want to be the lecturer. And I think there's too much of that. It's like the one, the guru that is healed and they're perfect. And I'm like, yo, I just went to a treatment center. Like, you know, you know, like, and people like that. They're like, okay, you know, this bitch is in her thirties. She also went (laughs) to treatment (laughs) and I don't have to be somewhere And she struggles with that. And it's like, that's what they cling to. That's what they need. And I think they need someone that's an advocate who's marching with them. 
Absolutely. In the trenches with them. You know what I mean? Because doctors are still like, it's weird because mentally there's that hierarchy. It's like, you know, doctors are here and like, we're kind of here. You know, it's like, have you poured through the data and like done all this stuff? I was like, no, I was like, do you want to jump off this fucking bridge though yesterday? Right. You know what I mean? So there's times, there's times, there's even times now where like people think this is alarming to think about, but there will be times where I'm just like, dude, I like, imagine if I just jumped in front of this bus. Like it's just normal. Yeah, it's just nor- normal shit. Majority of people, I promise, I can't say, I don't want to spread like any lies here, but majority of people are going, thank God. Okay, me too. Like, thank God someone said it. I thought I was insane, but like, clearly this happened. You have to do it. And there's people out there that, like I said before, they could hear something like that. And just how you explained it, they could be like, all right, it's not other people are going through this. It's not about almost saying like people have it worse or like people have it this way. People are the same in a lot of things. So it's if people are struggling, struggling together to get better is is a beautiful thing. People that don't know each other. When people with mental illness come together, I've seen this in every support group, no judgment, loving, kind. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, We're in this, you're laughing, you're relating. Sometimes you're horrified, but it's like- I laugh all the time in meetings. It's a high. It's a high because it's it's a release of acceptance that people wish everybody could understand at some point in their life. We went through so much rough shit to get here to to be able to laugh again. Dude, I didn't laugh for like a month. That's what I do for a living. Yeah, void of emotion. Numbness is hard. And the other thing, too, that was crazy, I don't know, like, if you felt this, too, was, like, shit I was watching on TV was, like, fucking with me. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, I was watching 21 Reasons Why, and I was just like, nah, I can't 13? (laughs) 13 13 Reasons Why. Damn, you you doubled it. I doubled it up, and I remember just being like, yo, I can't watch this. Like, this is really bad for me right now. What pisses, like, here's the thing. What pisses me off about it is, like, everybody clings to those shows. I I know Euphoria was, like, awesome and stuff. But the thing is, is it's like, hey, shit, you want to, Euphoria, I didn't find it weird. I didn't find it out there. You want to freaking watch Euphoria? Come advocate. Come advocate because that's a reality for most people. That shit didn't even phase me. I love Zendaya. I love the show. Cinematically, it's amazing. But the thing is, is like even with 13 Reasons Why, like, you know, I hate to tell any kid out there. Well, here's the thing. How dare you profit off a of suicide and not give back? Yes. Yeah, exactly. With those shows, they hurt and they're triggering. And then they didn't have a disclaimer on their first season of their entire show. I'm like, you got girls killing themselves on here and getting raped on here. Exactly. Exactly. What are we doing? Who's getting a check from this? I said, I hope 100% of this goes to rape victims and victims of people who have killed themselves. Uh, you know what I mean? Doubtful. Doubt it. And, you know, that's why it becomes one of those things where it's always a tough line, right? Like, to do I monetize? How do I monetize, like, without feeling like a piece of shit? Or, like, if I'm helping people, should I charge to help people? Like, this is what it is. So, like, even with, like, mental health advocacy, like, it's tough, too. Like, I, I get that in a sense, but it's like, Euphoria is the Lower East Side on a Thursday. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why even as advocates, like even like you saying that I had to let that go when it came to to the money, because it is not fair. Like I have to have a business and I do like with a shop and then selling my books and being an advocate. But the fact is, if I am hustling when advocates don't get paid, I can't do this. And there is nothing wrong because I'm confident that I'm a genuine person. I'm not one of these ex-celebrities that comes out about mental health. They're profiting off of it. No, I already know my roots. I'll stick to them. So I'm allowed to make money and be financially okay. You know, I'm hustling to pay for therapy and that's not right. And so uh, anybody out there that's like trying to run a business, if you be confident that you have like you're doing it from a genuine place, you're sharing your story, you're okay to make money. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I told people like I was popping before I got my diagnosis. You know what I'm saying? Like I was already all over the Internet and stuff. It's like it's not like I came out the gate being like, what's up? Like I'm this bipolar dude. I was like, no, like y'all learning this with me. Like we're going through this together and shit. Love it. That's the beautiful thing about it. It's a journey. This whole thing is a journey about life, about everything, about love. You get a perspective on people and the world that nobody else can have. So medication, were you afraid to start medication? How do you feel about medication now? Have your thoughts gone back and forth? Because I go back and forth all the time. Oh, yeah. In my mind. Well, thank goodness I'm on the most stable regimen I've ever been on. Took way too long. Had to do a lot of experimenting, but I didn't give up. But in the beginning, oh, those meds, you know, it's like Hannah, you know, like you're going to thrive up. There was one day, this is when I said I can't like do with some of these medications. I woke up in a bowl of Fruit Loops with milk mustache. I woke up and let me tell you, when you almost drown, when you almost drown in milk, that's how sedated you are. You wake up. And so I started going in and this is what I would suggest to anybody listening. You can't have the perfect regimen, but you walk in. Remember, your doctors, they work for you. Okay, so like at the end of the day, respect them, but have a voice. You go in. This is how you want to feel. And this is how you feel. And you have to be willing to experiment and you got to be open with your doctor. But the weight gain in the beginning, I gained 40 pounds. It was horrible. And I couldn't do it. So I was open and honest. And so the thing is, is you have to push it. You got to get to a place. You got to switch doctors. But I'm at a good place with it because, but it took a long time. And and for me, it's like, I never took Xanax before. They gave me Xanax. And I I took what I was prescribed too. And I went to Dwayne Reed for like a soda. And I was in there for like 35 minutes. I don't even remember what the fuck I was doing in there. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was so fucking zooted. I was so off Unreal. my I was standing in the aisle looking at ice cream for like 25 minutes. Yeah. Like it was, it was exactly. outrageous. Exactly. Because I think there's a theme behind medication. And this is historical again, is that treatment, the lobotomy, all of that. Treatment has been silence them if you're they're quiet if you silence them if they're sleeping they're healthy and that's not okay because that's not living 
That's not living. So I've learned that. And I encourage anybody, don't be afraid to be bold. If it's not working, you ask for something different, but you have to put in the work and it is work. It's worth it. It's true. And I remember like when I was in the doctor, they were like, all right, so like, let me tell you about like Lexapro. And I was like, okay. And they were like, yeah, like, you know, you might have this, you might have that. And they were just like, like your dick might not work that good. Right. And I was like, what? And I, yeah. I, was like, I was like, excuse me. They were like, oh yeah. Like you like might not like want to have sex. And I was like, what? That's unreal. And then they were like, yeah. And then they were like, you might have suicidal thoughts too. And I was like, yeah, hold up a second. I was during like, hold sex. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, it was like during sex or after. Because they usually after. But they were just like, no, they were like, you might lose your libido and want to kill yourself. So I was like. No big deal. I was like, yo, like, I know you legally have to say this, but you could have just been like, you could have kept those two. Right. Tell me to close my ears or something. I've heard that that sucks for dudes that really, I I know a lot of men have told me like they're only in their thirties or something and they're like, shit. And I know how big of a deal that is. And and, you know, that sucks. Not literally. Yeah. yeah, No, no, I hear you. And then the doctor was like, uh, oh yeah, it might take you like a long time to finish. I was like, all right, well, that's, that's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Forget about (laughs) it. I was like, now I'm cool now. Yeah, now whatever. That's on Exactly. That sounds helpful now at this point. But to any dude out there, from a woman's standpoint, to any guy out there, because I know a lot of men that are on medications for bipolar that do have that problem with their, you know, well, with their, well, dick. Okay, we'll say it, whatever. Penis. I didn't want to say penis. 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 Penis, whatever you guys call it these days. But that, no, but struggles to have like that sexual drive and stuff like that. You should be able to be open about it. If you have to take medication to help, don't feel ashamed. I've had guys say it to me and I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, it's not a big deal. There is no shame in it. There it's is. easier said than done, but I agree with you. Yeah, you're guys right. You're there, right. Just, just, just I don't honest. have that problem. It's like, hey, what's up? My wiener is not working because. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then they're I just like, oh, that. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm always no, working uh, pretty much. Yeah, I hear you. Tell me how halfway to Hannah started. Oh. What pushed you in that? What pushed you in that direction? Because you know, I think I mean this conversation has been fantastic, but I want people to get an understanding of what it is you do and how you do it and how you started doing it. I think you're you're a really really good writer. I'm just I'm not good at using. You know, I, sometimes it's hard for me to articulate what I want to say, but it's almost and it's what I do for a living, which is like kind of funny. But like sometimes I have time. I have a hard time articulating. It's not easy. No, it's tough. And like when I was reading your stuff, for me, it's almost like I was there in a way. Like it's weird because like I almost felt like a girl. You know oh, what I mean? Like, love it. You know, so it's almost like in a way, like, oh, I never really understood how I could make somebody feel with just my demeanor or how I can make just somebody feel with the way that I talk to them. You know, especially when it comes to the opposite sex, but also though, dealing with what you're going through and how much of that do you put into your writing? If like you're having, if you're manic, do you write, you know, like I want to know how the whole thing like kind of started. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'll try to give you like the, the, I love this question. I wear many different hats. So 
basically when I went back to college a couple of years after my breakdown, I've always wanted to be a writer. People always told me, get into media, do a YouTube. You're funny. You're funny. But the thing is at my core, I wanted to be a writer. I've been writing since I was a kid, but I felt stupid. They, you know, bipolar with a learning disability. And so I didn't think I thought, oh, only intellectuals could be that. But when my mind started racing, I would write and write. Before graduation, finally, I was on this normal route to getting a job. But in my heart, I said, I want to publish something. And I believe in myself and I want to publish and come out about bipolar. I knew that the chances of me getting a job after being so public wouldn't be good. But I said, I can do it. So I came out in 2016 with Halfway to Hannah, where I wrote articles about bipolar where I wrote articles about mental health and all of that. And it kind of blew up. It began to blow up. Then I saw an Instagram, specifically Instagram. I said, this is going to be the biggest platform, in my opinion, regarding social media for mental health. And so early on, I was one of the first people that came out about mental illness act, like, right? And that was the foundation for it. So I started social media And went from there. And I said to myself, why don't I start releasing my quotes? Why don't I start releasing my poetry? And I did. And when I did, boom, I saw that people wanted the art. They wanted the storytelling. They wanted the character. They wanted it. And that's when I really started writing. And so I've really grown as a writer especially with this next book, The Truth About Broken, which was my first book. That's my baby. And it's essays and it's kind of character development and storytelling. But this is my poetry and this is coming from breakdowns in everything. And really just that's where I write from, from a raw place. And basically, I write every day. It is my buoy in unstable waters. And to anybody out there, in my opinion, unless you're doing it with hate, there is no such thing as a good or a bad writer who gives a shit about your following. Just pour onto paper. You just pour onto paper. And that's what I do every day. And that I wrote something too about how I offer gratitude for bipolar. And let me tell you something. I see that people are disabled with this. So, but to get to those people and help them, you know, cause I don't want to romanticize it, but to get to them, we have to start here. So in my writing, it's like, I give gratitude to bipolar because it tortures me at times, but it is the root of my art. And it always has been. And I call it my muse because it has given me this just, the words just come. It's like unbelievably. It also makes you love yourself as much as you do in a weird way. It makes me love myself, you know, and it can be hard and just utilizing that now using video content. I do real, I do a little bit of everything and speaking the poetry the writing, the activism, the thing about people with mental illness, especially artists, including like comedians and stuff, we can wear many different hats. Oh, yeah. We're chameleons. Many people. different hats. So I wear a lot of different hats. 
And I love it. I love and am excited to really release words that I think are going to, you know, I was going to say shoot through people, but the whole stigma around it, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But touch people in a very different way of empowerment of like, whoa. And, and also writing, because one thing I've been doing, I see politics in a different way than people. Bipolar, yeah, me too. Me, right. Bipolar gives me, I, I can't limit myself to just talking about mental illness. And I want people to see with art what our mind can do what our mind can do, what it can create, what it can birth, the art that can impact the starry night, except this time it's with mental illness right there. So you have to accept it or you don't or get the hell out, you know? So yeah. So a lot of different things. No, I agree. I think that's super powerful. It's super powerful to have something like where you said in hospitals, they would just give you medicine and let you fucking roam freely around the hallways, oh, you know, man. to people being, you know, yep. front and center, you know what I mean? To a Kanye West, you know what I mean? To, exactly. to, to a Van, you know, or to a Van Gogh and like, right. you know, for me, when I see like the thing I also like about what you do too, is that I think girls are just better at this. We always are. Yeah. 100%. That's about anything. You can answer that about everything, but visually, you have a good grasp on where social media is kind of going and like how it works. So, you know, it's like, it has to be a universal language, right? You know, mental health is becoming almost a universal language. Like stigma is, is part of the universal language of mental health now. And I like that what you do is you'll have things for, you know, what accounts to follow for borderline personality, or you'll have accounts for, you know, people that deal with bipolar, like, you know, like, you're not lumping everybody in together. And I feel like a lot of people do suffer from that. They're like, oh, like mental, you know, everything is different. There's sub genres. It's like rock music. It's like rock music. It's like, yeah, we're all under this umbrella, umbrella. but there's alt rock. Yeah. There's com- rock, country That's rock, right. hardcore. You know, there's this, there's just other stuff going on there. And I think the it's being able to make like these small, like ecosystems and these small communities that could just be able to outreach with a click of a button is just like very important. That's right. But it has to be pleasing to the eye because if it's a fucking mess. Oh yeah. 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 Come on. Let's, let's be honest. It's tough. It's gotta be cute. Gotta make it cute. Gotta make it clean. Aesthetic. No. Aesthetic. aesthetic, aesthetic I don't know any person on social media with bipolar truly. And I know pretty much all of them that has an aesthetic or a theme. Yeah, no, never. Are you in therapy now? Do you help frequent? Are, are you doing that? What's your kind of therapy schedule like? So I went to outpatient for 12 weeks starting in April. And that was really difficult for me because it was the first time that I had been to anything that was even remotely close, about 10 years since going to the hospital. And I have a problem and have a very had a bad relationship with psychologists, psychiatrists, and them. I did. I was angry at them. I thought they were egotistical. I was very angry, but I got bad and I had to go to therapy. And let me tell you something, it's been life-changing. And I'm thankful because I've rebuilt the trust with the system. And I went to that treatment 
And I stopped clinging to the identity of the girl that couldn't be helped. You know, that's me. And I've been able to better. And you even see it like the way that I've been writing. It's like you kind of see yourself going to these avenues. So therapy once a week. And it's an investment, though. It is. It is. It is. But I'm telling you, it's like it's almost like having a good manager. It'll be the best 10% you, you've ever spent in your life. That's right. That's a very good way. You know, or having an accountant, you know, a really exactly. good accountant. Exactly. It's going to yeah. save you money in the long run. Like, exactly. it's, it's like you know, it's, you have to it's do the work. The research. It is a yeah. huge part of your life. And I used to, I feel bad. I talk so much shit about them and now I'm like, yay. But the thing is, is like, even with me, I live in California. I lived in LA. I live in San Diego. My mental health system, the people, the doctors I have, the therapists, they're so great out here. But I'm moving back to the East Coast. You know, I love Cali, but it's I need my East Coast. So the thing is, is that even just with moving to D.C., I'm going to D.C., the treatment and the therapy, that's weighing on me. Um, It's actually really the biggest fear is leaving my therapist. And I'm so scared. So no, that, it's it's, true. that it becomes it becomes such a huge part of your life. I'm like so nervous. But just like embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. Maybe you find somebody to get you to the next level. I always say, like, you know, for me, my insurance switched like a year and a half ago. And like it was like graduation. I had to say goodbye to all my doctors and shit. That's right. Awful. And I was just like, I was like, all right, I'll see you. And he was like, all right, bye. And then I was like, yeah, this is terrible. It was like summer camp. I was like, I have to go. So to wrap this up, I wanted to ask when you are talking about advocacy and when you're talking about being out there, putting in the work, what are some things that I and people that listen to the show, people that suffer from mental illness or have family members that suffer? from mental illness, what is something that we could do to be a part of the movement today? Right. Okay. That's a very great question. First of all, anybody, you know, that has a, uh, on the outside of it, the support system for those who have a person in their life with mental illness. I think the biggest thing, push them to get involved in their community, whether it be support groups, sending articles, sending social media pages. Hey, found this chick with bipolar disorder. Like she says, bipolar, whatever, like she writes sending. And and that's, you know, there's so many accounts. This will begin to start when they can, they have to be with their peers. You can tell them, are you okay? Are you doing this? But people with mental illness have to be with their peers. And when, if you can encourage them to do that, then it becomes, I think, a little bit to say, oh, wow, they start feeling, they start feeling seen. That would be the number one for that. And then as far as people who want to get involved in advocacy, there's so many different avenues to it, right? If you want to do something like be on social media, you really want to think about what is it that I want to do? I have to tell you, I always say this as like a disclaimer, Coming out about mental illness in today's society, as much as I want to tell you, do it. Understand that you can lose your job. Understand that there will be consequences. You can. And it will be tough. 
But if you want to talk about, if you want to share your art, just do it. Don't think about it. Put it out there, you know, speak from your most raw place and, and get involved in the sense of sharing articles, looking into the things I'm talking about. Oh, she's talking about abuse of the system, hitting me up. You can hit me up, hit me up in my DMs and to talk about advocacy and empowering and not being afraid to say, Let's stand up for one another. We can talk about, don't be ashamed, you're not alone. But our people are alone, period. And so I think if you can use your creativity, your empathy, your emotions, your knowledge, educate yourself, the history of stigma structure, you will find your place in advocacy and it will be pivotal. Don't try to do what everybody else is doing. When you freaking learn about mental illness, you're going to be blown away. I write articles about actors and Marilyn Monroe and Vivian Lee. That's going to spark. You're going to find your place. You're going to find your voice. But you've got to start educating yourself, not just Googling mental health awareness. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself, to be honest with you. For real? Okay. I didn't know. I I kind of like, I'm glad you said that. No, because it's, I like I said, it's, and like you said, like, it's about the peer, it's the peer, it's the camaraderie. 100%. That's so big. It's such a big thing, whether it's mental health disorder, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's sexual assault victims, these are the hardest, some of the hardest things to come out and be like, this happened to me, or this is what I'm going through. Right. And, you know, to have a support system of peers Right. And, you know, like not to shit on doctors. We love doctors. Right. But like to have someone like that's sitting right next to me that's been through what I'm going through, it helps, especially in the moment to be able to do that. And then, you know, there's a lot of systems out there where it's hard to trust people. It's hard to trust people when you deal with a lot of stuff. Some people enable other people when it comes to substance abuse. That's you right. Know? But like, so, you know, it's hard to find the right circle. And it's like, but you have to put yourself out there initially to even exactly. get started with that. Yeah. Yeah, And to any writer or artist out there that lives with mental illness that wants to put their art out, their writing, but, you know, are nervous. I want to tell you, like, don't overthink, come from the rawest possible place you can. And I say this, my friends and I, one of my best friends with mental illness, we say go full nutto. And I know people be like, hey, don't do that. But it's true with madness. Unleash it. Show the world what you're capable of doing. Don't hesitate because I'll tell you, I ripped up my first manuscript with this second book because I looked at it and went, this isn't real. This is a bunch of healing guru shit. And I threw it out. And I said, start writing from that place for your peers, for your, your people, for everything, about everything happening in the world. Just go full nutto. And I... And for you too, because it's like, you want to look back on your art and be like, this was real. This was authentic. This was real. This was real. That was it. I want to go full blown. Yeah. Nobody could take that from you. No, I want to go full blown madness. I'm done with playing in the role. I just want to go for it. And that's what I say to any writer. Don't think about a following. Don't think about any of that. Go full nutto on your art and release it. I love it. And then my last question that I ask everybody on the show is, are you happy today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. 
Happiness for me is defined very simply as waking up and being present. I get to do what I love. Smallest things make me happy too. 100%, 100%. I'm here and that's good enough for me to be happy. I can be depressed and still happy. Me too. It's weird. Very weird. Well, we're, you know, we're interesting people, but I want to applaud you for what you do. This was honestly one of the most real conversations. And I, I loved every minute and what you're doing. I want to acknowledge is vital as a man, as an artist, as a comedian, all of it. I, I applaud you. It was amazing. I felt like it was different and unique. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, that's what we try to do is, you know, we try to put a very authentic, raw. Love it. Engaging. On this thing and engaging and just having a conversation. It's almost like I tell people when they come on the show, it's, I try to have people like I end up friends with everybody. I do the show. Exactly. With. Oh yeah. You know, and it's just like, this is what it is. It's, it, I it's love it. when nobody can read a bullshit meter, like better than somebody that deals with mental illness. I'll oh, tell you that, though. oh, you can't <laughs> get it. <laughs> the bullshit, the bullshit meter I know it. Bullshit. It's disgusting. My exes, they were screwed. <laughs> it's like, this is so funny. It's so funny. Okay. It's just like, yeah, no, nah, this is fucking bullshit. But, I, uh, you I know, bet. that's it. If you come from a certain place, people, you know, hopefully it resonates with people. Also, speaking of that is where can everybody find you? Where are the books? When's the book coming out? What do you got planned? Let's do the whole thing. Oh, yeah. So basically my uh, the platform, my hard platform is my Instagram, which it's at Hannah D. Bloom, H-A-N-N-A-H-D-B-L-U-M. That's my main social media. And then also my blog, like you said, halfway to Hannah.com. I need to like get some fresher articles on there. Thank you for reminding me. And then my first book is on Amazon. It's called The Truth About Broken. It's an essay collection. It's my baby book. And my second book, I'm so excited about. It's going to be available on pre-order in November. And it's called okay, Oh soon. Mind. Yeah. Oh Mind, Where Have You Gone Today? And it's such a mental, it's such a mental illness title. But nah, um, yeah, that's I, I where you it. can find me. That's where you can find me. So hit me up. You know. That's it. Uh, um, so thank you so much. I mean, we'll have you back anytime. If you ever need me to come on any show you want to do. One hundred percent. I would love to do something like on Instagram Alive or something like 100%. that. I love it. I love whatever it. you need. 100%. When people take the time to be on this show that uh, I tell them whatever they need, I'm down. So I'm taking note because I'm going to be doing Absolutely. a lot of stuff here and I would love that. Sounds good. And guys, this has been off the cuff and thank you for listening. Make sure to check out Hannah Bloom everywhere and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining me on another episode of off the cuff presented to you by one one life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!